Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It is uh, lunchtime on October the 9th on the West Coast. It's a historic moment, certainly for Keith and I and for anyone else listening. This is the first non-Keenon show to appear on Now TV. Keith, with uh, a bribe of several million dollars, has been convinced to bring his blockbuster show, That Was The Week, over to the Now TV platform, and I'm thrilled to have him on board. Uh, Keith, That Was The Week is a show about the previous week, particularly in tech and and venture community. Um, This week, you focus very much on antitrust, your, your excellent newsletter. Anyone watching should subscribe to Keith's newsletter. Don't trust antitrust. And let me, uh, let me uh, look more carefully at this image that you lead your newsletter, how the Democrats can lose Silicon Valley in their sense. Why the picture, Keith? These four guys up a mountain trying to help someone else. What's the, uh, the, the visual element here of... Uh, antitrust and your warning against the Democrats to focus too much on antitrust? Well, there'd be many ways to interpret it, wouldn't there, there, Andrew? But my interpretation is um, the three people holding hands are Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) And they're offering a hand of help to poor little startup, offering to compete with Google, Amazon, uh, Apple, and Facebook who they consider to be monopolies. So um, this, is the, this is the good news story of the Democrats helping the little guy defeat the big bad wolf of Silicon Valley. And uh, Keith, this, um, th- this argument was triggered by, of course, the headline of the week, which is about the House Democrats calling for the breakup of big tech. So this is not some abstract argument. You're you're making uh, the the issue of antitrust and the, the 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 Democrats' assault in some people's mind on 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 Silicon Valley now is very real. Uh, let's drill down a little bit in terms of your argument. Your newsletter this week makes a very interesting argument about the dangers of antitrust. I'm quoting you here. You say the future of humanity depends on technology that will be capable of automating much that is currently manual. The ability to reduce the price of food, drinks, housing, clothing, transport, energy, and much more to zero is technology and automation driven. Automation is the reduction of human labor in producing the needs of humanity, animals, and the earth. Ultimately, human labor will be reduced to as close to zero as is achievable. When that happens, choice in how to spend time will become available to all. And I'm capitalizing this, my stress. Large technology companies are part of the path to that possibility. The end of the private company as a requirement of progress can then become possible. 
and surplus will become social, not individual. Until that time, let's support the ability of capital and know-how to help us get there. So what you're saying, Keith, is that the stakes on this antitrust debate are very high. They're not just about Silicon Valley. They're about the future of humanity. Well, well, that's kind of always been true ever since uh, the Industrial Revolution, right? I mean, we all understand that progress comes from innovation and progress is measured by uh, human freedom, basically. Uh, the freedom to choose how to spend your time and not be a slave to work is driven by progress. So the sad thing, in a week where Donald Trump's election campaign not just fell off the rails but left blood on the tracks, is that the Democrats, who are likely to win probably by a landslide, don't seem to have a vision for what technology is good for. They only seem to have a vision for what technology is bad for. And that seems really sad because it means the next four years is going to be a missed opportunity to transform our future. They'll spend four years trying to knock down what's there rather than leverage it to build something. And, you know, as a person who was very politically active myself for decades, um, it tempts me to want to be in politics, frankly. Who, who represents progress these days and the future? Who indeed? So the, the tech press, of course, this week has been ablaze with arguments for and against antitrust. Uh, one of your favorite sites, I know, is, is Strata. Stratechery. Uh, Stratechery. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, Stratechery. Uh, Stratechery, but um, it, it's one of the most read uh, uh, sites, blogs uh, in Silicon Valley. What is Stratechery saying this week about the arguments against antitrust? Actually, Ben Thompson, who publishes it, wrote two very strong pieces, the one you're showing and then another one that started with the title... Um, Facebook, the missing monopoly. And in both cases, he's stressing that uh, if you look rigorously at what Facebook is and what market it dominates, the answer is none. The answer is it doesn't dominate any market. It certainly doesn't dominate advertising, where Google is a major player and Facebook is a strong competitor. Uh, it definitely doesn't monopolize social media, where Twitter is a, is a strong player, of course, and others. Um, none of them dominate video, where YouTube is a strong player, but they, uh, they are too. So the, the idea that there is a monopoly here is what uh, is the core of, of uh, Ben Thompson's argument. I agree with him. There are, there are big companies with large audiences with enormous revenues, none of which actually are monopolies. Since you put the newsletter out, uh, our old friend Mike Arrington put out a tweet saying that people confuse radicals and liberals in Silicon Valley. Is there a split now? Is there a split now? Do you think in Silicon Valley between liberals and radicals on this issue of antitrust and the role of big tech companies? I th I think there might be an emerging split, but it certainly is buried if there is one. Mo mo most people in Silicon Valley characterize themselves when it comes to the economy as libertarian. That is to say they're in favor of government hands off and just let the market figure it out. 
and that that's the best way. Keep out of the way and just let progress take its course. And Mike definitely has historically been one of those. Um, Mike and I disagree about many things, but we agree up, we agree about that. And um, I think that um, Silicon Valley doesn't really have liberals in the Washington DC meaning of the term uh, for that reason. Now that said, the libertarian, the Silicon Valley libertarians do many of them vote Democrat because they believe in social equality. And uh, the, it seems to me the missing intellectual piece of the jigsaw puzzle is the relationship between technic technical innovation and social equality and social opportunity. Um, if you want to solve the problems that Black Lives Matter focuses on, uh, or indeed almost any issue, um, the precondition for solving it is ending the squabble over resources. And the squabble over resources is is only solvable with technology. Well, that is, of course, according to you. One of the nice things about <laughs> having, uh, shall we call you, a, a libertarian Hegelian uh, on the show, I think you're the only libertarian Hegelian in Silicon Valley, is that you're open to other people's opinions. And, and that was the week newsletter also uh, covered a, a very different position from, uh, from an interesting uh, French-American entrepreneur on the East Coast, Mael Gavet. I, I don't know if I've done her justice. What's next for Silicon Valley? And she takes, Keith, an entirely different position uh, from you. Let me quote Mael. Uh, she says, the near total, and I, and I uh, misspelled dominance, the near total dominance of the top tech giants, Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, Apple, and Microsoft has become stifling. She, this, is a, this is an argument that is very much covered in her, in her new book as well, Trampled by Unicorns. Uh, these companies don't hoover up talent, but have grown to such a size and expanded into adjacent markets to such an extent that they are starving all but the best new tech businesses of oxygen. Smaller companies who compete in one of the markets that big tech considers as strategic, an ever-expanding list, risk becoming a target of full financial power of one of the giants who aim to crush or buy possible contenders before they grow beyond a certain size. And I'm capitalizing her here because I think it's here that she gets in your face from your libertarian point of view, she says, this hegemony impacts innovation and centralizes capital allocation. This was from a piece Mailer wrote in the Harvard Business Review last week, which you recommend in your newsletter. Uh, both Mail and you are talking about innovation. She takes an entirely different position. Now, how would you respond to her argument? I, I, the reason I published it, Andrew, is I think it's an excellent piece. And... Um, you may think it's a contradiction for me to say so, but I actually agree with her whilst at the same time agreeing with my own point of view. Um, it, why? Because it's, a, it's actually a fairly complex discussion that um, you know, isn't really well served by a David and Goliath framing. Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Alphabet are at the same time massive innovators whilst at the same time stifling innovation. They do both things. They, the, the, you know, the argument about how they help innovation is obvious, so I won't make it. How do they stifle it? 
they stifle it because it's in their self-interest to acquire talent uh, and to own future markets. So when, when, um, when Facebook acquired Instagram and WhatsApp, it was doing both things, acquiring talent and future markets. When it acquired Giphy recently, it was doing both things. Now, my point of view is there is nothing illegal about it doing those things, nothing yeah, at all. We've had this argument, Keith, before. It's about the, the issue of antitrust is not whether or not monopolies are illegal. It's whether or not businesses which have str very strong control of one market use that strength to illegally control other markets. What I don't understand in terms of your argument is that if, if you listen to people like Scott Galloway or Mail, uh, Gavet, I mean, splitting up Amazon into Amazon Web Services and a, and a store or splitting up Facebook between Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, they, they maintain their strength. If anything, Scott Galloway argues that actually builds shareholder value. So what I don't understand is your uh, dark dystopian view is if you break these companies up, it ends Silicon Valley, it ends their strength, it ends innovation. Because no, it's, it's, it's uh, I mean, look, at, look at the history of AT&T. They got split up and, and you got a, a series of companies that were, if anything, more innovative than the original monopoly. It's, e it's easy for me to explain it, Andrew. By the way, Andrew, you're showing a graphic now, not us. I don't know if you intended that, but just in case you didn't. Um, whatever, it's easy to explain it, Andrew. Um, it comes down to who would you trust more with the future of Facebook's shareholder value, Facebook or the government? And, and I don't trust the government to make good decisions for Facebook shareholders. Uh, I just don't. I mean, I... Well, well, it's not the government. I mean, the government's listening. And I've had a series of people on my show on Keen On talking about breaking these companies up. Uh, the, the, the people in the government uh, are now being advised by highly sophisticated tech people who will argue that you need to break, say, Facebook into three companies, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Facebook. What's wrong with that? We're, we're all familiar with that, but it's basically fascism. That's you can't, yeah, it's, it, fascist it, about that. It, it, it's, it's the, it's the, you know, the, um, the people who support that are basically for me, the same as the QAnon people. They start with a conspiracy theory that Facebook is bad and doing bad things. They try to influence policy in favor of their conspiracy theory. There's no substance in their theory. And then they try to recruit the government because it's powerful as their as their supporter. But and Mayor, Mayor is doing that. She's not QAnon. I mean, there's perfectly reasonable people who want to break these companies she, up, including myself. Uh, she doesn't argue for breaking it up there, by the way. Well, she argues, I think, implicitly that she she you know, look, I'm 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 an investor in a company called Infarm, which is gonna be worth billions of dollars. And nothing Facebook, Google, Apple, or the others do will stop it because innovation still works. But a smart innovator doesn't drive towards an area that a big company wants and can own. So innovation isn't being stifled. Innovation in spaces they care about is being stifled, but they have blind spots left and right that innovators can head for. Now TV, your project can be successful despite the existence of these companies because these companies aren't building now TV, you are. And nothing, they might come and offer you a pound of flesh if it gets big and you'll have a choice to make whether to take it. 
that's a choice. They can't force you to sell to them. So it, it, it really is a conspiracy theory of the big bad wolf versus the good guys. And it's wrong. The good guys are not um, the people arguing for breakup. They are actually small-minded, anti-innovation zealots. <laughs> Including myself. This is the conversation that will go on and on in That Was The Week. It's certainly only the beginning. And hopefully, and I hope, Keith, you're on my side here, we will have a change of administration in November or January, and then these things will become real. Let's focus on your innovator, your company, your startup of the week, uh, Uncork. Uh, what are they all about? They seem to be an interesting uh, new play. I hadn't heard of them before you mentioned them in, in your newsletter. Yeah, Uncork is um, in a space known as no code. Um, No code is where um, you can manipulate uh, content and data um, in very complex ways, um, close to a machine learning style of uh, manipulation of data with outputs that you wouldn't be able to easily find, and you can do it without writing code. And there's a lot of companies in this space. Airtable is a unicorn in this space. Um, uh, actually, Snowflake, which went public recently and is trading at huge valuations, is in this space. Um, uh, so Uncork is for people who have lots of data to understand and want to use a service, a cloud-based service, to uh, to understand the meanings inside that data, but don't want to be, have to be an engineer and write code. It's a growing space, uh, which you could think of as business automation of various kinds. Another big player in that space is UiPath, which is worth about $10 billion now. Um, there's lots and lots of companies in the space. And I, I, I like it uh, as much as I like all the others because it, it points to a future, Andrew, where you and me, who didn't learn to code, can do interesting things without employing an engineer. Yeah, I guess, and it's hard to speak for the dead, but this would warm the heart, not of, uh, warm the heart of uh, Steve Jobs. Um, And your thought of the week, I think it's thought of the week or post of the week is about Steve Jobs. Uh, You're quoting him here. I think it's been six years, as our friend O'Malley reminded us, six years since Jobs died. Uh, But his sayings, if anything, have even more relevance. So here's the the quote you give from Jobs for this uh, week to remind us of his brilliance. Innovation comes from people meeting up in the hallways or calling each other at 1030 at night with a new idea or because they realize something that shoots holes in how we've been thinking about a problem. Would Jobs love this new new code uh, wave of companies? Jobs always liked anything that made uh, human human effort uh, easier. He, he, so yes, he, he absolutely would uh, love it. Um, he, he was. It's not that he doesn't believe in technology and coding. He absolutely did as well. But anything which removes effort, uh, so that you can get the outcome you want with less effort is something he would have been in favor is it's basically the core of humanism humanism is about freeing people from effort um and actually and, it was nine years ago sorry not six years ago as right. us on october the 6th interesting enough his quote uh, yesterday i spent all my afternoon with two innovators 
talking about um, uh, what replaces the World Wide Web. Uh, and these innovators have just an unbelievable idea about the canvas we will all publish on in the future and argue that it isn't going to be a web page. Uh, they've, they've figured out the next canvas, if you like, and the company is called New Canvas. Well, let's, let's save that for next week because that mm -hmm. sounds like a, a half an hour discussion. Uh, <laughs> Facebook, of course, is always in the news, uh, back in the news in terms of uh, uh, pol new, new policies on, um, on how they're going to deal with the election and all sorts of controversies around Facebook. Your tweet of the week uh, is from Dan Rose, a longtime uh, Facebook uh, VP. Uh, what's the tweet of the week, Keith? Well, so Dan Dan re retired from Facebook a few couple of years ago now, um, and moved to Hawaii. I think he might be back here now, running a venture fund. So he recounts in two thousand and eight when Facebook. Uh, had, uh, I can't remember how many users it was, something like 80 million, was it? 80 million users, that's yeah, right. The 2008, fa fa face Facebook's user growth hit a wall at 80 million. 80 million. A serious debate about whether any social network could ever reach 100 million users. Right. Two years later, we had doubled our user base, and not long after that, we reached uh, 1 billion users. Here's how we did it. So it's this series of tweets. From yeah. So he's basically talking about how, the, how they, they thought they'd, they'd reached the peak. And of course, now they're at 2.7 billion users. Uh, and so it's a real insider view of blocking and tackling actual problems of growing a startup business. And the kind of, and even at 80 million, you think you've, you're, you're finished. And, and yet there's still so much more that you can do. So it's, a, it, it's about resilience, focus, teamwork. It's a really good uh, thread. It's not just one tweet. It's a whole thread of tweets. And then coming back to uh, Jobs' point about innovation, do you see Facebook as a major innovator or have they hit a wall in that sense? Um. Their innovation has, has changed. Um, they, they were a macro innovator, as in they were redefining uh, an entire human uh, behavior. Now they're more of a micro innovator, adding features uh, to an existing platform. And most likely they'll get disrupted by whoever figures out what the next canvas is. Uh, just well, to... uh, let, let's, let's go back to, uh, to end. Let's go back to your... Your wonderful vision, heroic vision of, of the future of technology. Uh, just remind us who that fifth character is on that rock. Is it all of us, Keith? The, the, the one to the left, you mean, or the one to the right? Uh, to my right, the, the, the person who... Um, is who, being helped up. Who, who, who is waiting to be helped up. Yeah, that's you, Andrew. That's now.tv, that's New Canvas, and that's any startup that has aspirations to change the world. And basically, uh, it's about bringing everything, the price of everything down to zero. Well, nothing will ever become zero, but it will all tend towards zero as the price of making it becomes zero. And you still remain optimistic, Keith, that we can get down to that zero without new tyrannies of monopolies controlling our lives, creating surveillance capitalism and all the other infrastructure that people fear in Silicon Valley. 
Yeah, your optimism comes from uh, the same place as the optimism that Nelson Mandela being put in prison wouldn't stop the anti-apartheid movement. Human beings don't give it give up. Human beings are fantastic at creating what comes next and are never, ever constrained by what stands in their way. It's a wonderful thing, humanity. So I have to be optimistic. Otherwise, I'd have to despair about humans. Well, that was the week with the most resilient Hegelian libertarian in Silicon Valley, Keith Tier. We will be back again next week to discuss much more about antitrust, tweets of the week, innovators of the week, and the rest of the news out of Silicon Valley. Have a great week, Keith. I'll see you next week. Thank you. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Keith. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.